Amen. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to the book of James as we're in chapter 5 this afternoon. And uh, we'll conclude the chapter. And uh, don't ask me just where I'm going to go to next because we've already done Peter and all the ways... Maybe I'll go to Hebrews, I don't know, somewhere. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll do Revelation anytime soon. Um, we living the book of Revelation, I think. Uh, and uh, probably Pastor Bo has gotten, gotten you pretty well filled up on Revelation. Seems like he preached that quite often to you. Uh, so I, I don't want to compete with him. He's a, he knows Revelation forward and backwards, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get there someday, but right now, no, I don't think so. Anyway, we're in the book of James in chapter 5, and we're going to begin with, with verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it. Unto, until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth near. Murmur not one against another, brethren, lest ye be judged. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy who endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he who converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sin. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the Word of God. Pray, Lord, as these final words of James come to our hearts, that we may be encouraged of them. 
and realize that we are waiting in view of the coming of the Lord Jesus who shall take us home to be with him and who shall establish all things in the last days and shall be the righteous judge of all and shall bring reward unto his saints and condemnation to the unjust and Father that we might await the coming of Jesus in a patient enduring that we may be proven to be faithful unto the end. We thank you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we see here, um, there is uh, some exhortations in this particular passage, but as well as there is exhortation, there is also some hopes, hope of comfort and, and uh, looking forward to the future things that are in Christ. And so, uh, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, James 5.8. So, uh, three areas we'll look to. First of all, Jesus will return and bring judgment on the wicked at the end of the age. Well, this is something that is uh, very important for us to realize. Sometimes, you know, discouragements cause us to bemoan the fact that uh, we are in the condition that we are in. Well, our circumstances are particular lot in life, if you will. Uh, the cross that we sometimes have to bear. Of course, we ought to be bearing the, the cross which is related to Christ. That is our true witness and testimony for the Lord. That's what we ought to be bearing. But sometimes we, we look at the, our cross as, as some of those circumstances that we find ourselves in. And... Uh, and we bemoan those as if, you know, we um, are groaning under such a heavy weight and we wonder why. But we know that the Lord has given us a reason to endure uh, in patient endurance. He's given us a reason and the reason, of course, is that we are here in, in waiting. We're here in waiting for the Lord to return. We are his witnesses. His martyrs, if you will, as the word martyr is, means witness. We are his witnesses here. And the Lord wants us to, um, wants us to faithfully uh, be sustained and kept under that persevering grace which God gives to us. You see, I believe one of the, one of the biggest tenets of the Christian faith is persevering grace. We persevere because God gives us the grace to do so. You know, if we were to do it in our own strength, we probably would give up a long time ago. But because God in His grace sustains us, well, we find that that is uh, the important thing, isn't it? About this lady who just came to faith in Christ, uh, who was going to commit suicide, and now she has a whole new life in Christ. Grace has become her, her true advocate with the Lord. And, uh, and she, she can look uh, for the grace of God in things realizing Christ is the one who brought her into uh, a better relationship uh, with God and that uh, now she has hope of eternal life and, and she is also like you and I waiting for the coming of Christ well let's look at verse 7 be patient therefore brethren unto the coming of the Lord behold the farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain well, for the farmer waits for the early rain so he can plant. 
He waits for the latter rain so he can harvest. And so the farmer is, um, is a unique individual. Um, I love farming. Uh, I always enjoyed farming. And in fact, before I went, to, went off to Bible college, um, that's what I was doing. I was farming. I mean, yes, I was working out too um, at a job, but I love farming. I had a farm tractor. We cut, uh, cut hay in the local fields. Well, I had about four or five head of beef cattle and a milk cow and a pig and some chickens. And uh, we had, of course, we had the children. We had two children at the time. And that's what we did. We would come home at night and jump on the old tractor and go cut some hay and, in the summertime and, and uh, had an old hay rake and, and raked up the hay and waited for it to dry in the sun. Then we took the tractor down with a wagon behind it and loaded up as much hay as we could get on it and then brought it back and, and pitched it off into the hay mow and, and got the cattle in and milked the cow and fed the pigs and, and, and planted, the, planted some, a garden, just a regular garden, you know, we planted and, and uh, it was all fun. I enjoyed it. I, I just loved it, you know. It was, it was something that I just really enjoyed doing. Um, I even had a corn planter in one, one particular year. I, I, we had a field down below by the, by the lake, the, by Spec Pond down there, lower Spec. And the Walt Carpenter owned the field uh, on the right-hand side of the road going down. And I asked him if I could plant that field with corn. He says, oh, sure, go ahead, plant that field if you want to. So I dug, I, you know, I had a plow, two, a two, two-way plow, and so I, I plowed the field, and we harrowed the field, and planted it with corn. I used the old corn planter and planted the, the field, and waited it for it to grow up, and then we went down, cut it, and cut it, and I, I got this old um, um, chipper. It was a wood chipper from uh, the, the mill where I was working, it was industrial box of lumber, and they, they had discarded this old wood chipper. And uh, I said, well, if I get that old wood chipper and put it on a trailer, um, and uh, I can put it, I can belt it right to the back of my tractor, because I had a belt pulley on the back of my tractor. And I, could, I can belt it right to the back of my tractor and power that thing, I can chop up that corn. And so that's what I did. It was a it was a fearsome thing to get that thing going on the back of that tract and that old wood chipper was back there just whirling away and just shoving that corn in <laughs> and, we, and we did that for a couple of years <laughs> well but until the Lord called me to go to Bible college and then I had to sell everything off go to Bible college you know <laughs> but the, the farmer waits uh, for the harvest he waits for the harvest the early and the latter rain. You have to have rain if you're a farmer. Of course, farming is like pitching pennies into a jar. You know, you don't get quarters and dimes and 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 and, and uh, half dollars uh, to throw in that very often. Most of it's pennies. You know, you you're gradually building up a little equity in your work. But you have to have the early rain and the latter rain. And if you've ever raised anything, you know, you know, if you don't get that rain, then everything goes to pieces. Your crops die, and you don't get the fruit. And uh, but the farmer waits. He waits. He's a, the farmer has to be patient, has to be enduring. He has to suffer through. He can't just can't just go out there one day and say, "Oh, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to pick everything." You don't, you can't get anything that way. You have to wait. 
you have to wait until the end of the season when the rain comes and everything kind of fills out and, and you get this wonderful uh, fruit of the field. We're waiting. The husband waits. The husband waits. The farmer waits. Wait. It's hard work, isn't it? We're waiting on the Lord. And we're working. We are. We're waiting. But it's worth it, you see. Just like the farmer and the patient enduring, which is necessary for the farmer, it's worth the wait. And, and we have to wait. Uh, he says here, Behold, the farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Therefore, he says, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, draweth near. Well, I suppose every Christian from the first century has read this passage and has said, I'm waiting for the coming of the Lord. And we are, we are still waiting. Not out of discouragement are we waiting. We're not to be discouraged just because we're waiting. But rather we are waiting because we know the Lord is true to his word. But of course James is, is saying this as a means of exhortation. Don't give up. Don't, don't give in. Don't allow you know, your discouragements, whatever they might be, uh, to overcome you. Because God is true to his word. He's true to his word. And so Jesus will return and bring judgment upon the wicked at the end of the age. Now we know he's warned the rich uh, to beware of their riches because uh, they're not very, uh, they're not really lasting. Uh, we know that they can, they can corrupt very easily. The silver and the gold can corrupt. The, 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 the things of life which some people hang on to as if they, they were everything. Um, are really nothing. They, they'll vanish very quickly in time. Um, and uh, we find, but the believer who waits upon the Lord, impatient, enduring, the believer who waits upon Christ, you see, those things will last. They will last. Um, and so we find that, that it is necessary to have this, this enduring patience this enduring patience for the Lord. Be also patient. Establish, establish your hearts in Christ. In Christ, your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth near. Uh, in verse nine, he goes on to to say, "Murmur not one against another, brethren." Well, we do have a tendency to, like the Israelites of old. Uh, we have a tendency to murmur at times. Uh, or you, your translation may say, grudge not. Uh, murmur, I looked it up and it means murmur. It means to murmur. Uh, so sometimes people have, you know, uh, get, get in a, a state of mind where they look at the, the wealthy who have the rich, the richness, the gold and the silver, and they murmur against those things. They say, oh, why didn't I get some of that? Get some of that wealth, some of that riches. Um, uh, but we, we remember what it says about the rich. You know, their gold and silver cankers 
it rusts, it corrupts. It corrupts more, more, more than one way. It corrupts them as much as, it, as, much as it will, they will lose it in time, and it corrupts them. Uh, so, you know, a rich person, that wealth becomes everything. They have to hang on to it. And there's the constant struggle to keep it, to keep that wealth going. And, um, and so they, the wealth becomes a, um, a chain around their neck, if you will, drags them down. Uh, but us as believers, you know, we don't have to have a lot to be content and to be happy. Don't have to have a lot. You know, our little cottage that we have is, is sufficient. Um, man, you know, we sing that song, Mansion Over the Hilltop, you know. Just give, give, I'm a pilgrim and just give me that little cottage. That's all I need, Lord. And, uh, and as we do, um, thank God for our little cottage. Um, it may, he makes it a palace. He, we, he makes us content with it, and, and we enjoy that. Be, patient, be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth near. Murmur not one against another, brethren, lest ye be judged. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Well, we know that the, the judging belongs to God. God is the one who will judge us if our hearts get out of, out of place. Um, and, of course, he's talking about you know, if we allow this to consume us, it's one thing, you know, we, we might find ourselves in uh, uh, dire circumstances and we complain a little bit, but um, uh, someone who allows that to, to corrupt their whole life um, and to make them miser- a miserable lot, you know, God isn't going to look kindly upon them when it comes time to, to judge them. You know, it's kind of like the wood here and stubble of life. They're not, they're not building uh, of the precious things of Christ. Um, and so we find that it's necessary to keep our hearts in the right place. We should not be grudging or murmuring against one another uh, just because some have more than what we have uh, or they seem to be more blessed in some way. Uh, lest ye be judged. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. You know, maybe we're reminded at this particular spot where Jesus is outside the door knocking on the Laodicean church door. And he's trying to gain entrance. And the Laodicean church is, is wealthy, is rich. It doesn't have any wants. It, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a, a lukewarm church. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't giving its money to support missions. No, they're supporting themselves. You know, they probably got padded pews and they got golden candelabras here and there and they got big screen TVs on the right and on the left. Uh, their pastor goes around in a jet plane, you know, and, and has all these important meetings, but they, they never go out and do any evangelistic work or anything. They just have all these important, uh, uh, important things that they are doing, but they're, but they're very lukewarm. Very lukewarm. They don't carry their Bibles to church anymore. Uh, they 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 got a flat screen TV. They don't need a Bible, and so they just put it up on a flat screen TV. They they don't know the hymns of the faith anymore. They're singing some little praise jingle that just came out last week, and they're just they're they're back there raising their hands and just just having a great gay old time, and uh, they're just happy, happy, happy. But they're Jesus outside the door knocking, trying to get in. He's, he's out there knocking, trying to get in. He says, The judge standeth before the door. 
And Jesus, well, Jesus is the one who's going to judge the church, right? If anything, we see these, these seven churches in the book of Revelation. Each one of them, you know, is, I suppose there's, there's a little condemnation to each of them. Perhaps uh, Philadelphia is the only one that does not receive the same condemnation as others. Um, and Philadelphia is a church of, that loves the brethren loves the brethren. So if he loves the brethren, that's one of the signs he loves God too. Um, and we ought to be more like that, you see. Uh, verse 10, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So he uses the example of the, of the farmer to say you have to have an enduring patience. And then he has the example here of the prophet to say this, uh, they are the example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Uh, so we realize that the, the prophet suffered affliction. Uh, the Old Testament prophet, but then the New Testament prophet. John the Baptist suffered affliction. He was the last prophet of the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus is the, the ultimate prophet. He is the messianic prophet of prophets. He is the Messiah. And, of course, he suffered his afflictions and. Uh, for the Lord for on, on our part for God for on our part and the prophets suffered their afflictions whether it be in Isaiah who I guess historically was sawn asunder and or Jeremiah who was dropped into a well and knee deep in mud and, and uh, I guess uh, he was brought out of that but but he suffered greatly he suffered um, but we find even the, I think it was, was it the Assyrian king that um, allowed him to go free after uh, he had taken uh, the rest of Babylon into captivity. I don't know if it was the Assyrian king or the Babylonian king, one of those in there. Uh, he was favorable to Jeremiah. Uh, he says, Jeremiah, you, you spoke the prophecy, they didn't listen, and now you're going to go free. And he let him go free. But anyway, uh, we find these prophets suffered. They, they suffered greatly um, they, for the Lord. And they were patient in their sufferings. Well, the prophet had a unique role to play. To be a true prophet, you had to speak the word of God no matter whether you, you thought it necessary or not. You had to be true to the word of God. Well, you know that's what the pastor has to do too, isn't it? You know, sometimes we don't like what we have to speak. It isn't always popular to talk about immorality. You know, it isn't always popular to, to call people fornicators. It, isn't, it doesn't make us feel all that great, you know, to point out that uh, somebody has to confront someone else because they did something wrong. It isn't very nice, you know, that isn't kind, you know, we'd rather be love and and talk about grace and talk about the mercy of God a lot and, and all those kinds of good things we love to hear. Can you imagine these Old Testament prophets and what they had to say? I mean, they just, they had to confront face to face a king. Old Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, he had to go down and face old Ahab and tell him exactly what the Lord thought of him. You know, Samuel had to go talk to Saul and tell him, you know, you're not so good a king as you think you are and God's going to tear the kingdom from you. Uh, you know, these prophets, they, they had a very unpopular um, 
role to play. Uh, well, of course, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah found himself in front of the king. What about Daniel? He had to stand in front of the king and 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 give a translation of a vision. And he didn't know whether or not the king was going to lop off his head or say amen. And and it wasn't all that good um, of a of a uh, kind of positive vision, you know. It wasn't that Daniel was saying to the king, "Oh, the Lord's going to lift you up, and you're going to be so glorious." And no, 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 that wasn't it at all. It was quite the opposite. And what about Joseph? You know, when he stood before Pharaoh and had to tell Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of, of good, but then there was going to be seven years of famine, and if you don't do something about it, you're all going to die. <laughs> the prophet had a very difficult role to play. And, and you know, really, so does any true pastor. They have a different, difficult role to play. Um, it, and, and what about the evangelists, you know? Well, we won't get into that. But anyway, each one of these had their own role to play, and it was difficult. And the prophet says, the prophet was an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Patient endurance. He's not just sitting at the red light, waiting for the red light to turn green. No, he's, he's, he's sitting at the red light, and there is an executioner in front of him, and as soon as the red light turns, he could expect that the executioner was going to come after him in, in hot pursuit. And, uh, and not only so, but God, he was waiting for God to intervene that he might be preserved. Of course, he believed God might do that. God promised him he would do that. He would preserve him. But it's difficult, you know, when you're facing the executioner, standing there and there's somebody got a sword and they're about ready to, to kill you, to, you know, to say, oh, well, I think the Lord's going to, maybe, I think he's going to, but I don't know, there's a big sword in front of me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's got to be a little difficult, right? <laughs> I suppose Job was somewhat of a prophet. He, he, he was a patriarch. And he received revelation from God. And he was a righteous man. And he was making offerings and sacrifices unto the Lord. That sounds like a prophet to me. <laughs> you know, but look at what happened to poor old Job. What about Jonah? Well, you know, Jonah was, the, uh, you know, he had his moments. He had his moments. But God didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't give up on Jonah. It seems like once, the, once a pro- God called a prophet, he, he re- remained a prophet until God kind of said, no more prophecy, prophecy for you. And what about Balak, you know? Balak and the donkey? Well, he was a prophet, but he didn't want to be, it appears. He didn't want to be. But God wouldn't let him to be anything else but what he told him to be. Of course, there's a little mishap at the end there. But uh, Interesting, God even uses donkeys and uses reluctant prophets. But they suffered affliction and of patience. And in patience. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy who endure. Ye have heard... Of the patience of Job, well, Job's even mentioned here, right? 
have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The Lord is pitiful and of tender mercy. God, uh, God knows our frame and that we are but dust. <laughs> he, he, knows, he knows that we are but dust. And God is pitiful toward us. He is. He's pitiful. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, in me. Bless His holy name. You know, we, 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 God realizes who we are. Verse 12, And He wants us to endure patiently. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Well, the Pharisees were always swearing by the temple, or, or by the, the altar, or by something or other. They were swearing by something all the time. But you see, they weren't exactly the shining example of those who were patiently enduring and looking for the coming of the Lord, were they? Because the coming of the Lord at that time was the, was the first coming. The incarnation of Christ, that, he, that the Messiah was, was right there. They didn't even recognize it. And so they, they weren't uh, an example of, of, of patient enduring, looking for the Messiah. No, but Anna and Simeon were in the temple, remember? They were. They were looking, and, and they did see uh, the consolation of Israel. Yes, so God is very much aware of this, and uh, so, but those who are not true to God um, kind of make up their own little oaths. They swear by this, they swear by that, they... We, you know, the world is, is the world is always swearing by something, but we're not talking about the world. We're talking about those who are supposed to be believing. And for us as believers, we're not to swear by anything. We're, we're supposed to let our faith and our resolve for God to be true and forthright, to be a yea or a nay, a yes or a no. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Will you deny Christ? No, I will not deny Christ. Will you believe any other God? No. Do you know the true and living God? Yes, I know the true and living God. Is He your Savior? Yes, He is my Savior. Well, really, it is that simple, isn't it? It is that simple. You know, sometimes we make things too complicated, don't we? We do. But no, he says, make, make sure your oath is true and right. And I appreciate that kind of thing in believers when I see it. When I see it, I, I do appreciate that. In verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him be hurt, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Well, probably this, this particular verse is, is one we immediately connect with because we love to sing. In fact, we find that singing lifts us up. Uh, so when we sing the hymns uh, on uh, Thursday night, or we sing, sing them on Sunday, uh, in Sunday school class, or in the worship service, or in the afternoon service, or what about if you're home, and a, a hymn comes to mind, and, and you, you sing that hymn? Uh, have you ever been discouraged, and it seems like the Lord gives you a hymn, or a psalm, or something to, you know, to lift you? Um, in other words, we have an avenue whereby we may find 
a great deal of strength and encouragement in time of need. Our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are truly that to us. Um, what is it? Ephesians 5.18 This talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's a good thing. Yeah, a good thing. Verse 14 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this verse, I, I looked up in several different uh, resources and it had a couple of different uh, comments on it. Um, one of them that we commonly look at this one and we say, well, if somebody is sick, you know, we need to call for the elders of the church and pray over that person and anoint them with oil and perhaps they'll be healed. But um, the other view is this, that you don't have to be sick physically to do this. What if you're just plain discouraged and despondent? What if you happen to be suicidal? As this, as this letter talks about a woman who was suicidal. Who would you resort to? Would, it, would, it, would, it, would you resort to a, a psychologist? Would you, would you resort to uh, some counselor uh, from the medical field who would give you a little bit of um, Prozac or, or uh, uh, some other medicine and kind of some Valium or something to, to, you know, to perk you up? Would you, would you resort to that? Or, or would you say, well, I, I, I'm, dis, I'm discouraged, uh, I'm depressed, what do I need? Well, I, I need other brethren who will come alongside and help me and pray with me to lift my spirits. You know, this whole world can get, get you down. It, it has a way of, of getting to you, right? This whole world has a way of getting to you. Because, you know, well, there's, uh, there's so many pressures we're under. What about in the first century when when uh, it was not so popular uh, under Roman rule to be a Christian, you had to offer incense to the emperor, you know, if you were going to be on the good side of the government. If you didn't, then you, you kept your head down and stayed to yourself and just prayed that the old emperor guards didn't come around and ask you whether or not you were loyal to the emperor. Because if you said nay, then they're going to say, yay, I guess we better take you away. <laughs> you know, they, because they, they, they weren't so good. Well, what about today? You know, there's, in a lot of circles, Christians are not that popular anymore. And um, certainly in the gay community, Christians are not that popular. You know, they, they don't like Christians because we stand against uh, the doctrines which they uh, don't like. Well, there's a lot of reasons then, isn't there? There's a lot of reasons. Uh, are you discouraged? Are you, are you depressed? Are you in some way need to be lifted up? He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Well, if you are, if you are sick or if you are depressed or if you need spiritual lifting, God can do a work. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, well, sometimes sins get us down too, don't they? 
Sometimes sins has a way. You know, if you're carrying around a load of a load of guilt, um, you know, what are we to do? We're supposed to go to the Lord. We're supposed to confess our sins one to another. Well, I don't mean every sin. But if you, have a, if you have a good Christian brother that you feel you can talk to and tell your problems to, well, that's okay. But it wouldn't be a good idea to go publicizing every little sin you have, would it? If you did, why, well, you might find people not quite so favorable. But confession of sin to God first, to man, secondly, and I don't mean going to the priest or, any, or anything like that. We don't need some absolution from, from somebody wearing a, a black robe with a collar turned around backwards. But sometimes it is good to have a confidant. If that confidant can keep what you say private and realize that it is important to support one another in in certain, in certain areas where you're having weak, you have weaknesses. And it could be most anything. You know, someone told me a long time ago, I may have been a pastor, says you won't have very many friends, maybe one or two real friends that you can share something with. And, and even as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to be careful how we just spread about our, our, our confessions. We have to be careful about that. Tell them to the Lord, and then if you have somebody you can share with and pray with, pray with you, whether it is an elder who should be also one who is a confident. A true elder will keep your, what you say in confidence. A true elder, a true spiritual man, a true godly man, you see. But whatever the need might be, whatever the need, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Well, sin isn't so foreign to us. I mean, we all have sinned. Don't know anybody who hasn't, you see. He says, verse 16, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. You know, the healing that God gives to us is the healing of our soul's diseases. The healing of our soul's diseases. I'm going to look for a reference here. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Psalm 103, verses 1 through, well, 4 or 5 here. What's he say? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all thy benefits, his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and healeth all thy diseases. I think probably the biggest disease we have is sin. And God is the one that we go to when we want that kind of forgiveness. God is the one. So all our soul's diseases are uh, in good hands with the Lord. They're in good hands with the Lord. And so we should take them to the Lord. 
if we can't take them to another brother, if we can't go to an elder that is a spiritual man uh, that's in the church, or if you are a woman and there is a spiritual woman, a sister in Christ that you know that you can share with and uh, that she will keep what you say in confidence, you may find a prayer partner that you can pray with and, and be blessed. A Phoebe, if you will, in the book of Acts. A Phoebe, who is a, would be a godly woman. And perhaps a Lydia, who would be a godly woman. Or, or perhaps, you know, the, the virtuous woman in, in Proverbs. There are spiritual women, too, whom God has placed in certain places that can bless, can bless you Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so, that is, one who is truly godly prays, and those prayers are effectual prayers. And of course he uses Elijah as an example here. Elijah, you know, he's kind of like the giant in the Old Testament of, of miracles. Um, of course Elisha wanted to follow in his footsteps, and I guess he did, pretty much. But here is Elijah, he's on the top of Mount Carmel, and he's just, he's just going up against the false prophets of Baal up there, and he's, he's in such a hot pursuit of them, and just... Um, challenging these prophets well I bet I can do this and I bet I can do that they was kept saying and, and they, they was uh, cutting themselves and doing all kinds of things trying to invoke their, their, their little stone god which probably had a good old big old demon behind them as most of the idolatrous gods did they had some demons that was working through that system of idolatry but Elijah, he called upon the Lord of heaven and earth. He called down, God called down, allowed him to call down fire from, a, from, on heaven, from heaven. And he, he consumed the sacrifice and the water and the stone and everything else along with it. <laughs> and Elijah slew the prophets of Baal. But, of course, Elijah was just a man like everybody so even though he was a great example of someone who could trust in God and patiently endure through great conflict he ran away in haste from Jezebel and hid under a juniper tree waiting for his end well we don't talk about that end quite so much do we we're on top of Mount Carmel that's where we are most of the time looking at Elijah but Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth for the space of three and a half years and six well remember that Elijah didn't make that prayer kind of like oh I guess I'll just pray that it won't rain for a while no no uh, God told him. God was the one working through Elijah. Just like he did on top of Mount Carmel. God was the one working through Elijah. And if we want God to work through us, we're going to have to make ourselves available for whatever God wants. 
Now, we, we, we probably won't climb up on top of a mountain and do an Elijah thing. But you never know how God might want to use you. And if we can be faithful in a little, He will make us faithful in much. And so we find that it rained not for three and a half years, and then He prayed again, and it rained. And we find that Elijah, as it says in the beginning of verse 17, was subject to like passions as we are. That always encourages me just a bit. I can't read that and I said, Lord, Lord, I guess there's hope yet for me. <laughs> so, well, Elijah's a, a good, good examples here. The farmer, the prophet, Elijah, Job. He gives us some pretty good examples here to encourage us. To encourage us, doesn't he? Yeah. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, and this this last couple of verses seem to be perplexing to most of the resources that write on this write on this chapter. They don't know what this this erring is all about here. But I I don't know, I don't I don't think it has to be any more than what it says. Brethren, if any of you do err or sin, if you will, from the truth, notice they've departed from the truth in some sense, and one convert him, let him know that he who converteth the sinner from his error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Well, it's just the effectual working of grace, isn't it? The effectual working of grace is that God is able to forgive. No matter what the error may be, God is able to forgive. And so he's, he, he, he says, that person can be converted. Whether it's talking about the ones above, or any of these examples uh, that might be warned against here, if a person will confess, will be converted unto, unto God, will receive the Lord, and turn from the error of his ways. We can be involved in, and as he says here, to hide a multitude of sins. We don't expose them, we hide them. Where, where are they hidden? under the blood of Christ. You know, here is someone who found their sins to be hidden under the blood of Christ. Who knows what brought this poor woman to the place where she would commit suicide? I don't know. Something in her life. But, you know, that's where the evangelist comes in, isn't it? Where the evangelist... Well, we all should have an evangelistic heart. We all should be available to, to do something along that line if the Lord puts somebody in our way. So if we have an opportunity to bring a person unto the Lord and the Lord puts them, puts them right in our way, we should do it. We should do that. We just have to wait for the opportunity. You know, the evangelist is actually a, quite a unique gift, evangelism, the evangelist. It's different than the pastor-teacher, although probably the evangelist can be a pastor-teacher. But sometimes we find somebody who is 
an evangelist and that's that's their calling that's what they do they go do the work of evangelism it's their whole mission in life is to preach the gospel and to see people saved perhaps we should have more of that uh, you know we should have more of that and not everybody has the same gift but God does give those gifts some pastors some 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 apostles, some evangelists, some teachers, pastor teachers, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.11, you know, there are those gifts available. And they haven't gone out of the, of the church. God still gives those gifts to people. And we just have to make ourselves available. And he wants us to endure till the Lord returns. Endure until the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word. Impress it upon our hearts. Continue to work in our lives, Lord, that our spirit may be an enduring, persisting spirit as your grace works in us. Persevering unto the end, unto the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And for a last hymn, 
trusting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Under His wings, under His wings, who from His love can sever. Under thank you that when we are closer to you we know that you are closer to us and that you you do hover over us and you do even place a hedge about us and you preserve us and you keep us and and we find Lord that we can return to that place at any time when we do err from the way because it is through confession of our sins or through resorting to a humble and a contrite heart, O oh God, that will not despise. We realize that you are ever uh, available to meet our need. So we ask for your blessing, Father. Give us that patient, enduring faith that we will continue and to wait upon you knowing that you will return to gather your people unto yourself. So we give thanks and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen.